morning, guys. Woo, look at that. Maybe a little hot right there, a little loud, but they're going to adjust that if I am. Hey, welcome to King's Church again. Thank you so much for sending in your videos for all the dads out there and, and the other moms who helped moms do that and to get the videos in. And thank you, Christy, for putting that together. You did a beautiful job at editing that. I know it's, it's blessed our hearts just to see all those faces. Um, we just miss every one of those faces. And so any chance we get to be able to see the face and just to, oh, I just want to hug and kiss on those little cheeks. I promise not to do that, but it's what I want to do. Well, happy Mother's Day, friends. Um, Mother's Day is a whole ball of wax all wrapped up into one day. Um, there are those of us who find it just a smooth sailing day and others days that others of us who find it a choppy windswept day. And, uh, and I just want to acknowledge that up front that I've been praying for, for our moms and for the women that tune in. I wanted to, to give you a little bit of a heads up. If you have been tuning into King's Church, but you don't regularly attend King's Church in Lexington, of course, when we get back to having um, in-person live events, we would love to invite you to come. I know if you're part of another church or another congregation elsewhere, obviously you'll be attending with your congregation. On the other hand, if you've tuned in and really kind of become part of our, our family online, we want to encourage you that that's not going to stop. We really find that important. And I want to give you the option, if you'd like, to join with us on the Facebook group for King's Church. It sometimes has some of our prayer requests. It'll have stuff on there that's just not out on the, on the, the feed for the, the main page. Age, and it's a little bit more intimate. So if something comes up and you need prayer, or you just need a, a family that can kind of gather around you, but in an online format, uh, because you're somewhere else around the U.S., it is available, and you're feel free to join that and be there as well. One of the things that happened this last week was that um, Brad had been encouraging people to share some of their testimonies on there, and, and I have my heart was blessed uh, watching one of those videos. Um, actually, I watched it uh, last night and this morning of somebody sharing how the Lord's been moving in their heart and healing parts of them. And so that's an exciting place to tune into. Um, King's Church family, make sure you check out there for stuff during the week. Um, if you're not seeing it on the main page, it's just a little bit more intimate. So I'm just going to jump in. I want to just share kind of a funny story that happened for me. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes parenting can be a little hard. And I was complaining to a friend, you know, and I had, I had this close friend and she's a mom and I'm a mom. And, and um, I was just complaining, grumbling a little bit about how hard mothers um, work and kind of the stuff. And, you know, sometimes it feels a little underappreciated by, you know, certain people at certain times in our lives. I don't know about you, but there are days where I, I, I swear I think I've cooked 16 meals in one day. And I'm like, I signed up for three. And, and now we're, we're doing 16. And, and I was frustrated and I was kind of complaining about this. And she stopped. It's my good friend, Laura. She stopped and she looked at me and said, Meg, there's really just two things you want for your kids. You want them to love God and to love others. That's it. Is the rest of this really important? And let me tell you, I mean, it was just like, whoa, that was, I was like, you're right. You're right. Like the other stuff I'm frustrated about does it actually matter? I mean, it does, but does it? You know, I just really kind of resettled my heart to remind me, Meg, this is what you talk about. This is who you are. What you're saying isn't that. What you're saying isn't that. And so it's kind of stuck in my own heart that for my children, I want them to love the Lord with their whole hearts and to love others. And that's it. The rest doesn't matter as much if they have that down 
right? If they have that down. So I made the mistake of coming home and telling this to Brad because it had been such kind of a wake, re-wake up moment for me. He's never let me forget it. He reminds me quite often, Megan, Megan, remember when you said, and uh, it's true. That's what I want for my children. But you know, it's also what I want for our church. And I say our church in the sense of King's church, but I also say our church in the sense of the global church. This is what we want for the church is to really do these things and to do them with excellence, not just kind of, oh, this is a reason to slide by like, oh, my grades don't matter because I love Jesus and love others. No, we want to do things with excellence. We want to love the Lord and we want to love others because it points back to that when we go there. Um, So as I was thinking about Mother's Day and Father's Day and all of that, I was drawn to the idea of the art of parenting, the art of parenting. And and I just was praying and thinking through and, and, you know, there's a lot of things that get preached on Mother's Day. It's a whole, like I said earlier, a whole ball of wax. But really, I was drawn to the story of a father and a father and his love for his son and some points that I just, I found captivating my heart. So we're going to just actually jump into that. This is a, a... some of David in his own words, um, and it's in First Chronicles. So also, I forgot to tell you, if you don't have your Bible on you, go grab your Bible, maybe a notebook and a Bible. I know that my sweet 17-year-old sits in our living room on Sundays, and she has her Bible and her notebook, and she's sitting there listening, because if you're on the streaming, you can't get to your Bible app at the same time. You just can't do both. So feel free to grab an actual like Bible. I We're going to jump around some today. We're going to be in one text, but I just want to jump around a little bit. So be prepared. We might do some quizzing later on to make sure that you've remembered all 66 books. I'm teasing. Just kidding. But we're going to be in First Chronicles 22 first, and we're going to just jump in here. I'm reading my Bible that I have here as ESV. I believe some of what I'm going to be reading is actually NLT as well. So if it goes back and forth and you're a little confused, those are the two I'm in. Feel free to use whatever translation you have, but that's where I am. So we're going to read this first, and we're going to start in First Chronicles 22, 5 through 10. All right. David said, my son Solomon is still young and inexperienced. And since the temple to be built to the Lord must be a magnificent structure, famous and glorious throughout the world, I will begin making preparations for it now. So David collected vast amount of building materials before his death. Then David sent for his son Solomon and instructed him to build a temple for the Lord and the God of Israel. My son, I wanted to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God, David told him. But the Lord said to me, you have killed many men in the battles you have fought. And since you have shed so much blood in my sight, you will not be the one to build a temple to honor my name. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace. I will give him peace with his enemies and all the surrounding lands. His name will be Solomon. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel during his reign. He is the one who built a temple to honor my name. He will be my son and I will be his father. And I will secure the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. So I read a great quote about this story, and, uh, and it was that your kids will do things you can't do if you leave them the right tools. Again, your kids will do what you can't do if you leave them the right tools. I want to make sure that I'm leaving my kids the right tools. I can leave them a lot of things in their life. And at various parts of their growing up, they think I'm leaving them a whole basket full of wrong tools. And And it's true, there are probably times and areas of my life that I'm reacting 
out of my own heart, out of my frustration. Maybe I'm a little hangry at some moment and, and needing the Lord to supply some supernatural um, fruit of the Spirit instead of my own tummy growling and my own mind being frustrated. But ultimately, there's a couple things I think we can pull from this verse on this set of verses, this story that David did, that he did well. David wasn't perfect either, right? That he did some things well and he set up a system with some tools for Solomon to be able to succeed in his life. If our kids take the tools we give them and they use them, awesome. But we want to make sure they have them. And then it's up to them what they do with those tools, right? And uh, so I'm sure David wanted to build the temple. We hear about it throughout that David yearned to be the one to do that. But he had a bigger vision in mind. It wasn't just a single building. He had a big vision in mind. The vision of a kind of parent that provides for Solomon's future. What are some of the tools that we have? What are some of the tools that the Lord's given us to use for the children in our lives? And I'm using children today because whether we are parents in the flesh, like we've adopted children or we've given birth to children, or whether or not we are a mom and a dad in the body of Christ, which is what every single one of you is called to, we all have children that we are to be feeding into. And I think these things apply to all of us, physical and spiritual children alike. So the tool number one that we really want to be able to give our children is a vision for God's presence and glory, a vision for God's presence and glory. And we jump back up there to, uh, to verse five really fast. Give you a chance to get there. It said verse five, and since the temple to be built for the Lord must be a magnificent structure, famous and glorious throughout all the world throughout all the world. So what is a magnificent structure? Like why? Why did it need to be that? Why did it need to be magnificent? Because it was going to host a magnificent God. It was going to be the resting place of the creator of the world. And he wanted it to be worth that, to be honoring and treasured and, and to look like the Lord was, to, as much as possible, as much as possible. So God, David was just consumed with a passion for God's glory and his presence. I want to jump to a couple places to just look at David's passion here. So first, let's go to Psalm 29. Let's just jump back a bit. Um, no, sorry. We're going to jump, let's see, yeah, back a bit here, forward a bit. You're going west in the Bible. That's all I can tell you. I don't know. So we're going to run over here to Psalm 29 because it would be helpful if I had it marked in my Bible already as well, right? I stuck it in there in Proverbs 29 because I was really paying attention earlier. One second. It gives you guys a chance to catch up with me, right? Okay. So let's jump in here. Psalm 29. I actually want to read the whole thing to you. It's not very long. Let's go through it all together. But a Psalm of David... O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. I love how we get those bits, right? Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The voice of God, the glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Here, right here, I would say, if you ever have a day where you just feel like you're not hearing the Lord, and it's just silent, this would be a great psalm to kind of pull out and just speak out, speak out, speak out the truths of this. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. 
The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare and in his temples all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. I love that. I love that we just see this passion there. And in fact, as we were reading a few minutes ago, like David felt the call, felt the need to go ahead and be preparing. He knew that the Lord said, David, you're not going to be the one who's preparing this temple. You're not going to be the one who's building it. So he was gathering in, and he gathered in much of what he's talking about right here, the cedars, the the stripping of the forest to prepare for this place. He was doing as he was listening to the Lord speaking, and he was listening, and he rejoiced, and and he did that. All right, let's go backwards really fast to uh, Psalm 27, just a little bit. Flip over there, Psalm 27.4. One thing that I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I don't know about you, but from the time I was a little kid, I found one of my favorite places in all the world was to be in church. Now, there were years in there where church was kind of boring because for a number of years as a kid, my dad was a worship pastor. And, and so, you know, as, as one of those PKs, you're like hanging around the building and you're just there a lot. And I don't know if, um, as a child, I didn't appreciate that. But as I got older, I found myself craving to be in church. And, and it was one of my favorite places in high school was, was being part of Bible studies. And, and this women's group that was so beautiful, as a teenager, they pulled me in, allowed me to do their summer women's Bible studies right, right alongside all of them. They weren't worried about sharing their hearts and sharing their insecurities and their ups and their downs of their faith with some random teen that was sitting there. They just pulled me in. And I think it instilled in me what it talks about here. I love being in the house of the Lord. And in fact, I think it's one of the hardest things about this quarantine for me is that the house of the Lord, the building is so important. I love coming. And yet in the midst of this, the Lord has been reminding me that he was like, I've built a temple. I've come and I've called you to be the resting place of the Lord now for in your life, your Holy Spirit is here, Meg. You don't have to move your body into a place where the Holy Spirit, the resting place is here. And so that's such comfort now but I will rejoice so greatly when we get to run back in together into the house of the Lord because there's something about the group coming together. And I think there was the idea of the temple. The temple was a place to come together and to know this is the place of the Lord and people would rush there and see it and come together. And it was just a beautiful thing. So David had a vision for that. He said, I want to be in the house of the Lord forever. I want to do this. It was just a passion in him. Let's go forward now to Psalm 51. Jump way forward. Okay. Oh, I love this one. Create in me a clean heart, O God. But let's jump to verse 11 right here. We all know this. We were singing it this morning with my son. Um, Brad was playing guitar, and and we were singing this as, I don't know if you know the song or not, but we were singing the the whole psalm earlier. But verse 11, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. You know, there's, there's a bit of like a solemnness to this because this was written 
right at the time that, that David was scared. He had sinned greatly. He had, he had slept with Bathsheba. He had brought her in. He had done all this stuff. And even in the midst of this, the hunger of the physical that was just eating away at him, like he knew that he shouldn't be doing this, but he walked those steps anyway. And he was so afraid that he was going to lose that closeness, that intimacy with the Lord that he knew that he had been called to. And so there was like the fear of the Lord on him on that, and yet he still sinned. He still walked in sin and walked away. And yet he knew there was the whisper, the whisper of the Lord calling him back. And it's a cry of a man's heart who's saying, I've known I've sinned. I've known I walked away. The Lord, don't, don't take yourself away from him. There's a humbleness there and a, and a brokenness. And um, do not cast me away from your presence. And so I see that even though David was told, I'm sorry, David, you're not going to be the one who builds this temple. I believe that God honored David's heart anyway by sending his presence, the glory to Solomon's temple later on, that, that he had promised David, if you do these things, I will bless you and your generations. So let's jump back. I don't have it on this screen here. I'm just going to read part of this to you really fast. But if we jump back here to, um, to 2 Chronicles 7, 1. 2 Chronicles 7, 1. I'm just going to read this really fast. So, so Solomon had finished the temple and he had like cried out to the Lord, like it's done. I mean, I was listening through this, going from kind of going through all of 2 Chronicles here and, and the working through of the building of the temple in the last couple of days and just the details and, and to finish a project. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but we have been working on our house for several years because there were just some major things that needed to happen when we moved in. And, and even here in our church home at King's Church, y'all know there's work to be done. There's always work to be done. There's projects and there's, there's just the ongoing keeping up of a building. And so he had reached a point where he was like, and it's finished. I don't know if we'll ever get there here. I hope so. <laughs> but it was like, it is finished. And then he said this, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifice and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. Now remember, they've been working on the house, right? They've been prepping it and building it and overlaying every bit of it and like gold and doing all of this stuff. And all of a sudden, boom, the Lord, the presence fell. And they knew there was a tangible, physical difference and they could not enter in anymore because the Lord's presence was there so strong. I believe that even though Solomon was honoring and doing that, it was the promise to David that really built that. Hey, let's jump backwards again to 1 Kings 9. Can you go there, 1 Kings 9? So I did this little thing with my color-coded sticky tabs that make it easier if I remembered to put them in the right place. Give you guys a second to catch up there. I'm going to read 1 Kings 9, 1 through 5, all right? Remember, we're trying to cast a vision here because I believe that what David did was when he was told... David, you're not going to be able to do this. He started thinking, how do I cast a vision that my son understands? This has to be done. This is like the family calling. This is what the, the Lord has said in our family. David, you have to cast the vision. Solomon, you have to catch the vision, right? So here it is. I thought this was interesting. 1 Kings 9.1. As soon as Solomon had finished the building, the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all that Solomon desired to build... 
the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built. Remember that fire fell. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all I have commanded you and keeping the statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever as I promised David your father, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. The if, if you do this, these good things will happen. And if you don't, and just read the beginning of that. But if you turn aside from following me or your children and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, and it goes on from there, there's the bad. There's the bad. So if you do the good, as your father has set up for you to do, there's a vision of a future generations that will be blessed because of you. Again, we can do all the work and set our kids up with the right tools, and then it comes down to it, and the kids have to decide to carry those tools for themselves, the integrity, the heart, the walking forward, the listening to the Lord. So the first tool that I want to leave my children is a singular vision for the presence and the glory of God above all other things. This isn't just something we talk about. But just like the fire fell at that point, the fire still wants to fall on hearts and minds today, right? The Lord wants to say, I want my Holy Spirit to descend and to change. So I want to set our church up and set our families up to be able to hear the voice of the Lord and for the fire to fall. Because I believe that we are entering into a time of another point in history where the fire wants to fall again. All right, let's move on. Tool number two, two, if I had been wise and thought this through, I would have had like a tool belt and something on. Could have mixed it with a children's sermon and like some visual aids. I didn't really think that through. But tool number two, right? A vision for God's presence and glory. No, that's tool number one. Sorry, was a vision for God's presence and glory. And tool number two is the, not the vision for God's presence, but provision for God's promises for our children. Provision, right? So let's jump back there again to verse 5. Just the second part of verse 5 at the very beginning where we were in First Chronicles. So my son Solomon is still young and inexperienced. He knew that he was being called to do this and prepare the way for his son. And since the temple is to be built for the Lord, and it must be, we talked about all that, the magnificent structure, then what does it say right there? So... David collected vast amounts of building materials before his death. Like he started right away. He started just jumping in and he would not see the promise, but he was willing to provide for it. He didn't hold back. He wasn't grudging. He said all the way, all the way with everything that we need, everything that you need. First Kings 6, we were in, in what, 7 or 9 earlier, but First Kings 6, if we bumped back there, it's amazing. It goes in such detail about everything that they did. I mean, it was like 30 feet tall and 30 feet wide and all the stuff that they did, all the intricate carvings. And then they went back and every single bit of it was overlaid in gold, overlaid in gold. In fact, just the holy place alone had 23 tons of gold. 
23 tons of gold. I'd never really thought of this before, but when I was looking back and reading through all this, um, it was four years into Solomon's reign that he started building the temple, just four years. That really means that everything that he was using for the most part had already been gathered, like the blueprints and the, the, everything that he needed, basically. There was this like piles out there waiting for him to be able to be used. I loved one little tiny bit of a, a detail that was that all of the... Um, the stones were actually hammered at, at the quarry. They were shaped, perfectly shaped to interlock and fit together at the quarry so that when they were moved, moved to the side of the temple, there was silence. They, nobody heard sounds of like banging and drilling or hammering at the side of the temple. The side of the temple was already filled with peace. I was thinking how nice that would be sometimes if you've ever lived next to a big building going up and for like a couple months, it's like there's shaking and, and loud noises and the trucks rumbling through and it's just... It's not a place of peace while you're waiting for a big building to go up. And, uh, and yet they were saying that, that there was silence when this was being built. There was already a sense of awe and of reverency. So they would prep it and then bring it onto site. But the, the preparations had started long before all of this. Pretty much all of the resources were accumulated for date by David in advance. So Solomon's success was largely dependent on his father's sacrifice. His father had already prepared the way. Does this sound familiar? I feel like we're living in this Old Testament version of a New Testament reality for us, right? So let's jump to Deuteronomy 6. Way back there at the beginning of the Bible, Deuteronomy 6, 11. I love this right here. It says, the houses will be richly stocked with goods, ready, that you did not produce, you did not produce. I actually want to bump back. Let's go to 10 really fast. I want to read that. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build. Now, this is like 500 years about, don't get specific on me, guys, about 500 years before the temple is being built, okay? So we're jumping back in time here. And it said, the houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not, wells, wells that you did not dig. And vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, ready? Let's jump to 12 right there. Then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. There's a warning. There's always a warning here. And the Lord warned Solomon too. Hey, if you do what your father did, if you live in this manner, there will be a blessing for your future. And way back here in Deuteronomy, the same thing. Like, you're not deserving of this. You didn't work to build this. But if you take care of it and you honor it and give it the honor it's due because you're really honoring me, the God, the Father. If you honor me, then good things will happen for you. King's Church, I feel like there's like a bit of the fear of the Lord on that for me. As a, as a young church, as a fairly new church plant, we're sitting in wells that we didn't dig and eating from vineyards that we didn't plant. And we've been given an opportunity to, to step into a place that we did nothing to deserve it. And yet there is a generational blessing that we're being adopted into that says, listen, if you follow me and trust me and listen to me, then I will provide for you every step of the way. So take care, take care right there. Mm, I love it. Let's jump forward to Jesus' own words in John. 
We're going to jump all the way up. John, no problem. Let me tell you, it's on page 1158 if you're stuck. Right there, 1158. John 438, all right? There's one little verse there. I love it. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Jesus says the same thing. You didn't do anything to to deserve this grace. You didn't do anything to be given this land, to be given this future. One sec. But I am preparing a way for you to be able to step into this. The new temple, the place where the Holy of Holies wants to dwell now. And yet, there's still, I think, that underlying warning, take care. Take care. The Holy Spirit is here. I'm sending you a helper, but take care, right? So I love it. So the tool number two that we want to to remind our children is that we are reaping what others have sown, and we are sowing what our children will reap. And the second tool is provision for God's promises to unfold in our children's lives the provisions to unfold in our children's lives. It only happens if we take care, if we focus on that. There's a humility to that, an honest understanding that we are caretakers of a future generation's giftings. We're not to use it up. We're not to spend it up. We are to provide for the future generation. I kind of see that maybe a little bit in the American lifestyle, we don't really have a grip on that anymore. We don't. And that can be hard for us to kind of retrain our brains and re-understand. And, and even those of us who are in the ministry, we can almost adopt like an orphaned mentality where it's like, well, we just got this now and we got to spend it or we got to save it or we've got to like clutch on to it. And the Lord's saying, listen, no orphan mentality. No, I need to spend it now. Know who you are. Know whose you are. I'm your father. I provided in the past. I will provide in the future. Listen to me and obey my commands. So let's jump. We need a third tool in our tool belt here. And I think this is so important because we can do all these things and be eaten up with migraines and tension headaches and and hurting backs and chewed up fingernails if we don't take out tool number three that's been given to us and that we can give to other people. Tool number three is the legacy of peace, the legacy of peace. Can we jump back to Second Chronicles really fast again? Go back to that main verse. We're going to look at verse 7 to 9 again right here. My son, I wanted to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God, David told him. But the Lord said to me, you have killed many men in the battles you have fought. And since you have shed so much blood in my sight, you will not be the one to build a temple to honor my name. Listen, right there, it sounds like a correction, but I don't think it's a correction. I'll get to it in a minute. I don't think it's a correction. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace. You will give him peace with his enemies and all the surrounding lands. His name will be Solomon, and I will give him peace and quiet to Israel during his reign. There was a little, I don't know, asterisk, whatever the mark is in my Bible. And it said there that the word Solomon is a derivative of the word of peace. That's what what Solomon actually means, is peace. So he keeps just speaking that out, peace, peace. He's a man of peace. His name means peace. I will give him peace. 
Again, there's the take care, as long as he listens to me. Just as David wasn't able to enjoy peace because his calling was to wage war, he was called to that. He, in order to be obedient to the Lord, he fought and he killed. Sometimes he didn't kill because the Lord told him to, and that's where he kind of got off, right? But he was called to be uh, fighting battles in, in both the spiritual and in the natural. And we are waging battles in the spirit place so our children can enjoy peace and victory. That's what we're called to do on a daily basis. We are fighting battles over our kids and over our community and over our church. And, and you know, I, you guys know I talk about this a lot, but mamas and papas, that's what y'all are called to do. You're the covering, not just for King's Church, but for the Church International, that we are waging war against the battles. We don't fight. We don't fight against flesh and blood. Now, sometimes we have boundaries. We got all that. But we don't fight against flesh and blood. We are setting up and waging war for the peace of the next generation. Just like here. This is a hard one for me to talk about a little bit. Just a little hard because it hits so close to home for me. But we willingly take on scars so our children can have healing. We willingly take on scars so our children can have healing. Jesus did the exact same thing for us. He's not asking us to do something he didn't step in to do already. Isaiah 53, 5 says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. I've shared this story before. I won't go into a lot of detail, but Brad and I had a couple things happen within the first six months of our marriage, and one of those was a small house fire. And and, um, it was just a kitchen fire. And through that, I was burned. And my right hand was burned so so severely that there was not any skin um, on my my right hand at all other than the, the fingertips. And, and there wasn't any, really any flesh left there. There was just some muscle. Some muscle had been destroyed, but there was some muscle and the tendons and the bones um, that were there. And there was a battle, both in the flesh and in the spirit realm, for about three weeks for my life. I ended up with blood poisoning from, from some stuff that had happened. And, and I look back now and I see the hand of God, his fingerprints over the entire situation because um, had I not had the blood poisoning, had I not been in a place where I was at the time, even though it got really bad, but it saved my life because I was with doctors who knew what to do. If, if certain things hadn't happened the way that they had happened, then the Lord wouldn't have received the glory at the end. And I'll get there in a second. But I was left for three weeks fighting an emotional battle, and a physical battle of a hand without skin. And repeatedly over the second several weeks, um, maybe it was three or four weeks, I'm a little forgetful right now, but um, regardless, part of that time, the doctor kept coming to us, and he was like a well-known hand specialist. It's what he does. He's like, we're going to have to do skin graft surgery. We're going to have to do skin graft surgery because it, the longer we wait, the, the higher the chance that you could have another infection, another blood infection set in again, and, and we don't need to do that. <laughs> you were on some very heavy antibiotics. It's, it's not a good thing. We need to just kind of move on, and we need to do the, the and I understand you're praying. I understand you're seeking the Lord, but, but we need to do the surgery. 
And so after weeks of praying and seeking the Lord, and interestingly enough, Brad and I were part of a new church plant at that point too in Mississippi. And, and, um, and Dayspring kept gathering around and praying and, and people were praying and seeking the Lord. And um, I really did not want to have skin graft surgery. It, it was a lot of place on my hands. They were gonna have to take a lot of skin from various places and just sounded so painful, although it was already so painful. But regardless, I just felt like the Lord was like, just wait, just wait. And so finally, the, the doctor said, we can't wait any longer. I can't let you wait any longer. So we scheduled the surgery. The day of the surgery came, and I go back, and they wheel me to the back. And as they begin to prepare me for sedation, the doctor unwraps my hand, because most of this time I wasn't the one changing dressings or anything. They didn't want me contaminating it. And... Um, and so they unwrap the hand, and they're, they're laying me and trying to decide where to lay me so they can, you know, use this horrible-looking tool that removes, like, a great big segment of skin so they could find what to use. And, and they was going to leave scars all over my legs and my back where they took off big pieces of skin. And, um, and so they were doing it. And as the doctor unwrapped it, he looks at the nurse, and he was like, nurse, stop. And she was like, what, doctor? And he was like, we don't need to do the surgery. I know, and it was so, I was laying there, and they were just about to give me the medicine and the IV that kind of makes you go out before they gas you, and and so she was like, are you sure, doctor, and he looked at her, and he goes, of course I'm sure, I'm the doctor, and he was like, with full authority, he knew, and she was like, but why, and he was like, there's skin here where there was no skin, I saw this yesterday, this is impossible, this is impossible. And immediately I thought of the words of the Bible that where there's impossibility, but with God, all things are possible. And, and all of the sudden, there were large segments of skin on the top of my left hand, large segments of skin that literally had not been there, you know, eight hours before. And, and he, he had told us that although he was very sorry, he knew there was never going to be skin there because skin takes a number of weeks for what they call budding to even start to grow. So he was assured, he was like, There's, this is completely impossible. I mean, he was in awe, just shocked. I, on the other hand, become a roving lunatic and sat up in the bed and just started screaming, it's a miracle, the Lord's healed me, all the way back down as they wheeled me back to the, the hospital room where my father-in-law and my husband were waiting. They could hear me coming all the way down the hospital hallways because I was screaming so loud and um, so even though the Lord had begun a healing process in that I had to wear a compression glove um, for a year and a device that kind of separated parts of my hands together so as it grew my hand would have movement again and and I had to still submit to that process of healing and what was left is that many people when looking at me do not see the scars they don't they don't realize what my right hand has gone through but I see a different viewpoint because I'm looking down at my hand all day long and what I see is where it scarred the worst because the the compression glove had a, a stitch line that went down the edge of my hand so when I look down I see a very thick hard scar that itches and is frustrating at times. And for years, I was very frustrated with this scar. I hated this scar. And then at one point, the Lord said, listen to me, Meg, this scar is a sign of healing in your body. This scar is a sign of where there was infection, where there was death. I healed your body. I let you see the scar on a daily basis to remind you of your healing. I think as parents, we carry scars on our bodies 
Mamas, you know that's true. Some of you carry outward scars that are the signs of having given birth. Some of us carry inward scars of the signs of the fight to be a mom and the fight to hold on. Sometimes there's different types of scars, the scars of loss, the scars of, of a vision. There's different ways that we carry the scars, but all of those lead to the belief of an ultimate healing before the Lord, that we were not made for these temporary bodies. They wear out, they get tired. I remember somebody told me that every person that Jesus healed ultimately died again. Because we were not meant just for this world, we are meant for eternity with the Lord. And these scars give us a view that the Lord heals us now because there's an ultimate healing coming in the future and he's calling us forward. So we can have a legacy of peace in the now because we know there's a future that we were really made for. So getting back to this, one of my favorite, favorite authors, speakers, women of the faith is Elizabeth Elliot. And I, I love this quote from her. Motherhood requires self-giving, sacrifice, suffering. It is going down into death in order to give life, a great human analogy to a great spiritual principle. Elizabeth Elliot knew that well. She lost her husband at a young age, raised her children. She went back and lived with and fought for the people that killed her husband. They may have killed him, but they couldn't kill the dream. They couldn't kill the legacy that he had started, that she was determined to finish well for her children so they would know who their daddy was. She stepped into it. She definitely understood what suffering and sacrificing meant. And as mamas and as daddies of the faith, we are called often to suffer for the faith as well so that we can give our children a promise of a future, the legacy of peace. Well, as the COVID-19 epidemic and craziness that's still like surrounding all of us is going on, I've noticed a funny thing. I um, do OT, occupational therapy, with a couple of my kids every week, and we have the most amazing OT in the entire world. We just love her. And um, she and I laugh because over the last number of weeks that we've done this, both of us have seen our hair change drastically because, you know, you're spending a couple hours each week in this little frame, and that's all we see of each other through Zoom. And, um, and our hair, our roots are, uh, have grown out and out and out. My highlights have grown out to the point that the other day when we were driving in the car, my dear 11-year-old exclaims in the car with the people around us that she can tell how much gray I have in my hair. Thank you, Josie. <laughs> the other kids have now caught on to that or are chuckling about that because it's not so blended with, with lighter blonde highlights. It's, it's natural highlights that I have earned every one of those with my kids. And, um, and, and we were laughing about how the American life is one of adding and covering up the natural in so many areas. So many times, like people at the first couple weeks were complaining the women were about their nails growing out. And how do we do nails? And, and how do we take care of our hair? And what do we do about haircuts? And, and all this different stuff. And as, as American women, we can be drawn to just covering up and hiding 
who we are all the time under some other layer. And one of the nice things about this, it's like you just rip it off. I've had friends who are laughing. They're like, my hair's never been this healthy. I haven't used a blow dryer or any hot tools on it in months at this point. And, and there's just kind of a joke going on and going around. But there's a truth to it that um, parenting, I believe, ages my physical body my wrinkle the little tiny wrinkles here and the soft ones across the top of my forehead you know I didn't have any of that when I started parenting (laughs) at all and um, it may have been you know 15 16 years but at the same time there's just a fact that I think parenting somewhat speeds up aging but we are called to lay our bodies down we are really called to lay our bodies down for our family and, and, and to do that. So it's sort of funny to see it in real time happening, but at the same time, we see who we really are, just ripping off that mask of the insecurity, of the need to cover, the need to do stuff. And we just are able to be who the Lord's created us to be um, in the now and just showing our kids that it's okay. It's okay. Those gray hairs, I've earned all of them, every single one. Another one of my favorite current authors and, and women's writers and speakers is Ann Voskamp. I eat her stuff on a daily basis. I just, I love it. Um, but she has this quote that I saw recently, and she said, God gently leads those who have young because he is leading us on a journey. That journey is with our kids who are on a journey of their own. Do you get that? He's leading us on a journey, and then we're with the journey on our children, but their journey will outlast ours. Their journey will go on. And so it's like the passing of the baton for a season we run together. We started, we run together, and then we're passing it on to them. And we want to do that well. I was praying with a friend of mine. The Lord has blessed me over the years with just beautiful prayer partners that just, as I'm praying, it just it, it brings life to my soul. And she made this comment in the middle of prayer. And she said, may our ceilings be our children's floor. At that moment, the time of silence and darkness of the prayer room, I just wanted to cry out yes, but literally the words were like sucked out of the air of my lungs. And all I could do was a submission and a groan. Yes, yes, may my ceiling be my child's floor. Where I end, may they begin. They don't need to step back where I've been. They need to end where I begin. It was powerful for me when she said that. I've not been able to get away from that thought. So if we go back to David's story, instead of jealousy or frustration or competition with his son, there was none of that. He jumped in preparing to help, to use his present resources to secure his son's future success. He knew that he would never see Solomon succeed and finish the preparations he knew he would never see the dream come to pass but he rejoiced in the future and held nothing back from his son held nothing back i think it's an important thing for us there was no jealousy no competition no frustration he freely gave as a as a parent and a families of our own what have you held back guys worship team this is, this is perfect timing to come on up, y'all. I keep thinking about that. What have we held back in our own lives? What have we fought for? 
Maybe what scars do we see on our own hands, on our own bodies, that, that instead of laying that at the feet of Jesus and seeing the sign of healing, is there something we need to repent of in there? Is there something that we need to look at and say, Jesus, instead of seeing faithfulness for your healing of your life over me, I've, I've been rebellious. I've been angry. Some of us have new scars, and we're just working through that healing process, and it takes time. As I wrote a friend the other day, and I, I, this is not new for Meg, a friend wrote about this like a year or two years ago after the loss of a parent, but how grief, it's like waves. It's just like waves. It comes and goes, and over time, it's like you've backed up, and you're a little bit on the beach, and so the waves still come, but they, they knock you down a little less because you've backed up. And so if you're grieving and you're walking through that process, it's okay. Be there. The Lord is there with you. But if you have scars that have healed and you're fighting that scar, lay that at the feet of Jesus today. If you've held something back, maybe you need to ask, ask for provision. Maybe you need to ask for a vision for yourself and for your family. If there's an area that you have taken on that orphaned mentality of needing to grab it, needing to hold on to it, being jealous of what other people have, condemning other people for their provision from the Lord, maybe it's a time to go back to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want to provide with me for? What can I put my hands at work for? What can I put my heart at work for? Maybe we need to gather provision for the protection of future generations. What do you need to God to till up in your heart and remove that heart of stone and replace you with a heart of flesh? There's a breaking that happens for the Lord to do that. A breaking, a cutting open of the scar tissue that's bound our hearts and allowing him to feel, heal that. So really I'm calling us to lay out jealousy lay out frustration, pick up repentance. And then the third thing I'm calling us for is to rejoice. To rejoice that our ceilings can be the next generation's floor that they start on. They can soar if we give them freedom to do so. They can run if we're willing at the right time to stand back and to offer it freely without judgment, without condemnation, trusting in the name of the Lord and trusting that when we've filled our children's toolboxes with the right things, vision, provision, and a legacy of peace, that they then have to pick up those tools and make the right choices for themselves. I don't know about y'all, but I want to be the type of mama and the type of leader who does that for other people, that casts a vision of life and of flourishing and growing. I see that in each one of you guys, King's Church. Brad and I love you desperately. And we see that the Lord is looking at you and saying, you are my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. So, like was said earlier, now we want to enter into a time of ministry, a time that you can, in everything that you are, just share honestly on the feed. There are people watching and praying for you already today if there are things that you need to be prayed for you can do that 
And we just want to spend some time in worship and in prayer and, and to just hear from the Lord. So that's my thought. That's my heart for you all today. Have they? Oh, I should be. I should text. Thank you so much. All right. Oh, awesome. Okay, guys. We're going to just jump in with some of these prayers. <sighs> Lord, I thank you for these, these words. I thank you for these people. Lord, I thank you that your word, not Megan's word, you say that your word does not go out and come back void. So, Lord, I pray right now that the seeds of faith that need to be planted in the hearts today for vision and hope for a future would do so. May we be a people of hope again. I pray for Annette. I thank you, Lord, for my friend. Lord, I pray for her heart and her mind as she prays for a major decision in her life. Would you lead her? Would you guide her? Would you be her God? And she leads her family to be your people. Mm. Sasha just had this verse on her heart. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I overcome the world. Yes, Lord, thank you that we are not left to our own devices. We aren't left to struggle and to fight it out on our own. The world will be hard at times, but we can take heart. You, the giver of hope, give us hope for a future that we do not see now. Keith, thank you for your words. Fear not, for I am with you. The Father and I are with you. It is well with you, Jesus. Lord, I pray over Keith and his back. I thank you, Father, that you have anointed him to spread the good news, that you have called him out to pray for people in boldness wherever he goes. Lord, would you just awaken his heart even more, a desire to speak truth for you. Mm. All right, so Christy was playing with today's date, which is 510 of 20. I didn't even realize that. Um, I'm a math nerd. The numbers double. It's a day of doubling, Mother's Day. One life becomes two. The season of Pentecost pouring out more. What does God want to double in your life this day? Christy, that's beautiful. Lord, we pray into that. We thank you, Father, that that, that is the heart of motherhood, is the doubling. It's the heart of being called into being a parent is discipleship, to raise up. You've raised one, and now you raise another. Now you raise another. Lord, what do you want to double in our hearts? What do you want to to bring forth blessing and life and provision from? Um, Jennifer has texted in, and she asked us to pray for Hazel's head. So, Lord, we just reach a hand out. Y'all, would you guys do that with me, wherever y'all are? Just even raise your hands. And, Lord, we just pray over Hazel right now, Lord, over her little body, that where there are parts of her body that are tired and already trying to wear down in some ways, would you breathe life into her body, into her mind, into her legs? Father, would you heal her body so she can be everything you've called her to be? Everything. Would you let nothing hold her back from speaking your truth? She hears you. She knows you. Lord, settle into her even more. We love you. We pray for Jennifer, for their home, the same thing. Lord, settle into their home. Bring peace into their home even more today, Lord. (coughs) 
We pray for peace. The peace that passes all understanding. Lord, we don't know, but we just know that you are the peacemaker, the way maker, Lord. That you move in when it seems like there's no other way. You gather your beloved around you at your feet and you just blow life over them. Lord, may we just settle. I saw Keith mention that earlier. Just settle at your feet, Lord. Just like a child sits at the feet of a father to listen to a story, to be told the stories of of their childhood. Who are they? Lord, speak to the hearts of King's Church and and our, our, our kind of global network here, but speak to us, Lord. Who are we in you? Lord, would you remind us of identity, who we are and whose we are? Don't let us forget the calling you've given us. So there's this song that I came across the other day. Um, A sweet friend, Courtney. Go, Courtney. She had texted um, or written me. I'm not sure. You know, there's so many veins of communication at this point. But I think she wrote me somewhere. And she had just said that, there's this album that she's been playing on repeat. And I thought, well, if she's playing it on repeat and she loves it, I'm going to jump in. And, and it was um, a song from Jason Upton. And um, I was blessed beyond measure when we could still be around people face to face. This last year to be taken to just a, a very intimate sort of group time with him as he was worshiping the Lord. And, and I just love his worship. And so there's this song that he and another guy wrote It's called Every Table is an Altar. And yesterday, I had that song on repeat, oh, probably 30 or 40 times. (laughs) I'm not even kidding, y'all. I just had it in there while I was praying through and just laying on my face. There were people in our building. Um, We're so excited about some of the stuff that's getting ready to happen in our building. But there were people in the building, and I was just on my face down at the altar with it blaring on my phone. And I thought, well, they better just get used to the weird that's here because they're going to come across. I don't know if they ever walked in or not, but I was just down there singing my heart out. It was beautiful. Nobody was around, couldn't hear me. It was great. And this song, Every Table's an Altar, I just felt like it pulled back in everything that the Lord has, not everything, that's maybe an, a lot of the things. I'll put it that way. A lot of the things that the Lord has been speaking to the leadership and the ministry team and the people and in, in, in the team of worship at King's Church, that that we have this vision of a long, crazy long table. It's actually out here where we are right now, that when people walk in, there's just a place to sit and to talk and to be together and have coffee and eat together, you know, to just be together. The table, come to the table. And I've, I've been hearing that word for about, I don't know, a year, year and a half. I'm not quite sure how long. For a while, just come to the table, come to the table. And then the idea in here, um, this spring, Brad and I were praying, and, and he was designing some of our new stuff that was going up for Easter. And our, our whole big push for Easter was to be called Come Alive. And, you know, we, we did it here. It's a little bit different than what we had thought, Coming Alive. But we have banners out around the, the church side that say, Come Alive. Come to the table and come alive again. Come to the table. We've prepared a place for you. And, and there's this song, the table and the altar, that when you come, the Lord wants to feed you and to fill you. It becomes a place of worship. 
It was probably at the table where the Lord had the, the perfume broken and poured out on his feet. The alabaster was broken for him at a table. So can we just sing this together? The guys are awesome. They, they worked really hard on this and pulled this together. But we're just going to sing through um, this song. And I just want you, I don't know if the words can go up or not. Are the words, oh good, because it's new for all of us. But this would be our song for King's Church as we start praying in the next couple of weeks, the next several weeks about coming back together. Y'all, I'm praying for supernatural, like money or a table shows up. I need 16 feet and chairs or benches and just, you know, heavy, this table. I see it, but I'm praying for the table. So just pray with me for the table. That's all I can say. But the Lord can provide, right? But we're just praying, Lord, bring our hearts to the table. Bring our hearts to the table and may it be an altar for you. And every table is an altar. every breath is a gift from you every moment is a treasure every day is a kiss from you so let our hearts be awake be awake let our hearts be awake, be awake. So let our hearts be awake, be awake. So let our hearts be awake, be awake. And every stranger has a story. Every story is being told by you. We're our children on a journey. Jesus, only you can lead us through. So let our hearts be away. Pour the wine, let our hearts come alive. 
So let our hearts be awake, be awake. Let our hearts be awake, be awake. Let our hearts be awake, be awake. Let our hearts. Today is the day for salvation, deliverance, and healing. It can be that day for you. You don't have to wait another day. The Holy Spirit doesn't have to wait another generation. Nothing has to change, and yet everything can change for you today. I'm praying for you that you would find the ability to come awake, to be awake and come alive. Brian and I were talking a minute ago that we realized that we did not do um, communion yet last week. Everything's just been a little off. But I think today would be a beautiful time on your own at some point with your family to step aside on this day, the day of mothering, and take communion together as a family. And just say, we are going to choose to continue in the path we're walking. Perhaps we're going to choose to start a new path. We're going to allow the Lord to awaken in us the heart and a hope for a blessing for future generations to remove the guilt, to remove the frustration, to walk in the freedom the Lord wants to give you today. Brian, thoughts, words, prayer. I love what you're saying about um, the table coming together and fellowshipping and, and uh, letting God's spirit do and fill his body. I mean, that's just, it's powerful when we get in that place uh, where the spirit, the spirit wants to fill us as individuals, but, you know, he actually wants to fill the temple, his right. body. He wants to fill the whole, the whole, when we all come together, he wants to fill all of us. And then there's this wonderful fellowship and communion in the body of Christ when the Spirit dwells in us all. It's a really incredible, powerful, beautiful thing. And we're going to see some amazing, some amazing moves of the Spirit when we allow Him to do that. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm with you. I encourage you guys to press into His presence and let Him fill us. Let Him fill us. The world out there needs the church to be filled with His Spirit right now. When we come out of this, right now, not just when we come out of this, right now. The Lord is using us to do things that we didn't think. The church is reaching people all over the world because of the shutdown. Right, right. That we, could, that we weren't reaching before. Yeah, it's So amazing. our perspective is changing, and we're thankful for that. Yeah. So it's just wonderful. The Lord is all wise. He knows what he's really doing, right? Right. And uh, so thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you know what you're doing, and we want to go with your flow. Mm -hmm. So uh, thank you guys so much for worshiping with us today. And uh, thank you, Megan, for, for bringing the word on Mother's Day. It's a really great job. We appreciate you. And uh, we appreciate you at home. And we ask you guys to, to um, pray for one another. Take time to hug the people in your home. All right? <laughs> Give them hugs and high fives. Just do it. Everybody at home needs to feel love today. All right? 
and also take a moment to share um, our service with all your friends on Facebook. And uh, we want to just get the word out today and celebrate that he's alive, he reigns, and uh, he's doing an amazing work in us. And we want to spread, spread that work with everybody. Yes. All right. Thanks, guys. We love y'all. God bless.